God, we're, um, we're thankful here to be before you this evening. Um, God, we uh, recognize, um, recognize your goodness. God, we recognize your perfection. Uh, we come uh, recognizing uh, the, the great love uh, that you have for us. God, we ask as we, we gather here this evening um, that um, we would be honoring to you. God, we'd be honoring to you with the, the thoughts that we have, um, with the songs that we sing. God, with the inclination of our heart. Um, that it would be towards you, and it would be uh, towards uh, proclaiming your goodness, God, and it would be towards the advancement of your kingdom. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Let me read Psalm 53 for us. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity, and there is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon God? There they are in great terror. Where there is no terror, for God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when God restores the fortune of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. As we look at the psalm, um, we're going to look at it as... um, a, a dichotomy in the sense of being an either-or option. That the, the psalm prevents for us an either-or option, um, no middle third option. And uh, so the two uh, groups uh, that are presented here in the psalm are the opposers of God and the people of God. So the um, opposers of God. Um, are described um, there with this uh, foolish attribute um, that comes through in verse 1. They're described as a fool uh, because they say in their heart, uh, there is no God. This is a a description that uh, overwhelms who they are. This belief, this lack of belief in God, this lack of reverence for God. And these opposers of God in verse 1 are also said um, that there is none who does good. And um, in verse 3, it goes on to explain um, that as God inspects them, God finds there is none who does good, not even one. One of the things we see with the opposers of God in, in this song um, is that there, there, there's no mitigation um, in God's description. Uh, these people are without virtue. They are people who stand in complete opposition to God. And um, as we, we come and, and, and look at these people, um, we, we are left with the realization that even their seemingly good actions are going to be corrupted by self-interest. So I think as we look out upon people who are not part of the people of God, people who oppose God, people who say um, there is no God in their heart, um, we want to come and say... It's maybe not that bad. Or there's still some good in them. There's still something um, righteous in them that's inclined towards God. We don't want to see them as completely opposing God. 
But this is how the psalm describes such people. These ones who would, the fool who would say there is no God, they are completely uh, without good. They're not even one as found. And so as we come and think, how do, how do we understand um, these good, these seemingly good acts um, that, uh, that people who are not following God are doing? As we come um, and, and evaluate those, one of the things we can find is that um, the, these good acts... Uh, can be an attractive disguise for a corrupted heart. So it looks good on the outside, uh, but the motivations within are not God-honored. In fact, um, the motivations are self-honoring, which speaks to really the fundamental nature, uh, the fundamental problem that humans have, is this nature, uh, this inclination towards self-honoring choices rather than the decisions uh, that are God-honoring. I think a, an illustration that might be helpful as we think of a, um, of, of a con artist um, who comes and with, with much kindness and concern and apparent love um, approaches someone in an effort to uh, build up their confidence. Okay? And then as it comes to find out that the, the con artist um, has really done all these good things in an effort to, pour, to, to perform sort of, sort of a trick or deception upon the person. And so as we come and think about these opposers of God, and we evaluate, what about the good things that they're doing? Um, and um, we become, we ask, what is, where's the heart? That's the question that we need to ask. It's not what are they doing, um, but, but where is the heart? Because the heart is that which will truly guide them. Uh, and we also see um, that these opposers of God, um, that um, they are described as eating of God's people as they eat bread. So there in verse 4, you can see that description of them. Um, and we see that these opposers are, are those who experience um, some temporary success. Some things go well. Um, they're feasting on God's people. Um, they seem to have some sort of um, advantage um, uh, that is taking place there. But ultimately, God will respond to that. Um, and we see in verse 5 that God responds with great terror, with great fear that um, God will uh, put upon these people. I said we were looking at um, uh, two opposite things today. We had the opposers of God, but we also have the people of God. And so the second half of the psalm brings up the people of God. And as we come and think about the people of God, I think it's important to know that the people of God are not righteous either. Um, we've looked at the flaws of the opposers of God, but the people of God are just as flawed. Um, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9 uh, is a lengthy description of God's people, and specifically how God's people are not righteous. Um, let me read part of that passage for you, uh, just so we can see that the people of God, um, even though they are the people of God, ha- have no righteousness of their own. So it's in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. So if we come and, and think of the people of God, um, that God has chosen them and preferred them 
uh, not based on their righteousness, but based on God's choice for them. Um, we will find that the people of God, despite not being righteous, that God um, will defend his people. That God will defend them. And we see in verse 5 that God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. And um, as we think of, of God defending his people, I think for us that's an important thing that we can use in our life. is the recognition that God will defend us. Uh, so often we want to rely upon our own strength, our own power. Um, uh, when people oppose us, when people bring evil upon us, when people bring frustrations upon us, um, rather than looking to God and saying, God, defend me now. God, take up my case. God, I come before you to implore you. God, be the one who battles for me. Another thing that we see for the people of God is that God offers hope. Uh, and there in verse 6, we see um, the psalmist, as the psalmist reflects upon um, the, the forthcoming goodness that God will provide. There in verse 6, the psalmist says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. So this idea of, of salvation for Israel. We come and we find that fulfilled in the work of Jesus. Because God's people, they're not righteous. They need God's help. And there is a salvation that the psalmist looked forward to. It's a salvation that we can look and see that is fulfilled in the work of Jesus. As Jesus comes and lives a perfect life, is able then to stand on behalf of these unrighteous people and make a way to God. And so when we come see the psalmist look for the salvation, um, we know that that salvation for which the psalmist looked is ultimately fulfilled in the work of Jesus. And even as the psalmist had hope in the salvation that was to come, uh, we too, on this side of Jesus' work, uh, still have a hope. A hope in the fulfillment of Jesus' kingdom that was started when he first came and started with his ministry, but has not reached its culmination. So even now, we are filled with hope as we look forward to the work of Jesus and the completion of his kingdom and all things in creation being brought together. As we've looked today, um, there's been uh, two groups of people, the opposers of God and the people of God. There's no middle ground. And there's, we come and think about that. I think that's a, that's a hard reality for me to, to utilize as I interact with people on a daily basis. Because I want there to be some middle ground. Uh, I want to be able to look at people who oppose God and recognize, oh, look at what they're doing. Or think, you know what, they're, they're moving closer to God. But there's really no middle ground. Um, there are people who oppose God, and there are the people of God. And um, without that middle ground that I personally would, it's easy to gravitate towards I would say my experience with, with people within a church is that it's easy for those faithful people of God um, to also gravitate toward, to move away from that recognition that God, God looks upon people who without him and says these people have a judgment that's coming, um, a, a judgment that they don't want, a judgment that separates them permanently from God. That's, that's what awaits. That's what awaits these people who oppose God. Because in these people who oppose God, there's no righteousness to be found. As we think of that, er, that, that recognition, I think it, um, for me, um, it provides an urgency towards sharing the good news with people. 
an urgency towards evangelism, recognizing there's, there's opposers and there's people of God. And we want people who are opposing God to become people of God. And there's nowhere in between. They need to turn towards God. Um, and with this recognition, uh, I think it does bring us about uh, an urgency, an urgency of the gospel. Um, an urgency of the gospel that goes beyond simply what we think, but an urgency of the gospel, the urgency to share the good news, uh, that goes into the way we live on a daily basis. That on a daily basis, we have this compulsion to share the good news with people. The people around us, the people that God has put into our path, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family, our friends, the people we meet on the street, the people we meet at a park, people that our life brings us in contact with? Do we have an urgency of the gospel for them? As we think of this urgency of the gospel, um, when we, we look at an example uh, that comes uh, from the scripture, uh, comes from Jesus. If there was anyone who had an urgency to tell people about God, it was Jesus. Um, so I'm going to read um, a bit of a uh, passage here from, from Matthew chapter 14. And it's just an event that takes place in Jesus' life. And what has happened just prior to this is that Jesus has learned of John the Baptist's death. So John the Baptist, who was actually Jesus' cousin, was a, a relative, um, but also it seems to be someone that he knew, someone that he close to. Um, and John the Baptist, who uh, seems to have lost his life on just kind of uh, on a whimsy. And now as Jesus has learned about that, um, he, he is trying to withdraw himself from the people obviously experiencing great grief. Um, Let me read for you here in in Matthew chapter 14. It's beginning in 13. And as I'm reading, I want you to think about the urgency of the gospel uh, that we see with Jesus as he is in a time of great personal grief. Now when Jesus heard this, that being the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is over now. Send the crowds away to go into the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We only have five loaves here and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take in the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. Then they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. You think of Jesus just trying to be by himself, a moment of personal grief. And yet he has compassion for the crowds. And then it comes to a moment where even his disciples are like, Jesus, just send them away. Jesus had that moment there, a perfectly legitimate moment to send the crowds away. Because that's really what he wanted. Jesus is like, no, we're not sending them away. We will not send them away. Jesus shows great urgency to tell people about God. And we likewise need to show great urgency 
to tell people about God, to tell people the good news for them that comes through the work of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. God, as we, uh, we do come before you this evening, we, we are thankful um, that um, you have provided your son, you have provided Jesus as a way that we might have a relationship with you. God, as we, we come through this life and the, the events of this life, God, and the distractions of this life, God, let not the, the wonder of our salvation um, ever become far from our minds. God, let us always remember the greatness of our God, God, and the amazing gift that you have provided in sending your Son on our behalf. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.